0: Hi, this is Alan Gilman. Some people are asking the question, are we in the end times? Well, according to the Bible, the answer is clearly yes. In this week's edition of Thinking Biblically, I'll explain why. Well, Welcome back to another edition of Thinking Biblically. I'm Alan Gilman. Last week we had the Reverend Dr. Joe Boot here discussing the relationship of government to our lives, uh, especially given what's going on with COVID and all the rest. And I got a lot of really wonderful responses from people who found it quite helpful. So you might want to check that out. It's a subject that we're going to be coming back to, I'm quite sure. And the subject we're looking at this week is relevant in the same way because we're trying to understand the times in which we live, and, and some people think those times are the end times, and in some way I think they're right, that is what the Bible teaches, but as I like to say, I don't think it means what they think it means, and so we're going to be looking at that. Um, when times are troubling, there is, what happens is whether it's 9-11 um, or various wars that occur and 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 other terrible situations in the world people start asking are we in the end times well actually they don't ask they they tend to say i think we're in the end times or this really must be the end end times don't you think we're in the end times and this sort of thing and um it's an it's a theological area it's a life area that i've encountered quite a bit in all the years that i've, I've been a believer going right back to the my first year as a believer, I'm going to share a little bit of that story of how I've walked through uh, some of this issue. It's a very important biblical subject, and it does affect how we live. And and so, you know, one of the reasons I've said this before, we, we deal with thinking biblically to know how to live biblically, and understanding this subject of the end times is crucial in helping us to live effective godly lives. And so, That's why we're looking at it. One of the reasons why people get interested in a subject like this is when we're in a state of of trouble, confusion, we become disoriented, and we're looking for things to help us make sense as to what is going on. And so when, when people say things like, I believe we're in the end times, this really must be the end times, or the, the Lord must be coming back soon. It gives us a, a sense of, of reorientation to what's going on. Now, in many ways, that's simply, a call it a psychological trick that we play with our minds because people have been saying that for a long time. And this goes back centuries where, where people have interpreted the times they're living in through this particular grid of the end times. And while that might give them a sense of orientation, people have been saying this over and over again for for hundreds of years, why would we be more in the end times than any other generation has been in the the end times? Except we must be getting closer to the Lord's return just because time is, I'm not actually too sure how it all works. But then how could I be so sure that we are in the end times? Well, I'm going to explain that. So what do we mean by the end times? Uh, the end times is, in the way it's mainly understood, is this relatively short period leading up to an expected climax of human history. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to I share with you what I believe is an authentically biblical perspective on the end times. And, and so to do that, I'm going to as I said, I'm going to share a little bit of my own journey with regard to this subject. It began at some point in my first year as a believer. If you haven't heard my story, it's it's available on my channel. Maybe I'll I'll put it in the description um, so you could check that out. I had quite a, a radical change of life when I was just about 19 years old, which is many decades ago now. Um, and everything in, in life changed for me, and uh, including my level of interest in, in, in reading and, and trying to understand life, understand my life, and, and, and all the rest. And I, I'm pretty sure I had heard about the book, The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsay. And I was at what we used to call the Bible bookstore in, in, on Guy Street in Montreal. And, um, and I saw the book, and uh, I bought it. I, and I devoured it. I thought it was amazing. It got referenced. The book, The Lake Great Planet Earth, got referenced by Avner Bosky a couple of weeks ago, the, the impact that it had in his personal life transformation. And what was amazing about this book, and I knew nothing about what's called eschatology. Eschatology is a fancy word that has to do with the study of end things. And it, so it's it's the study of what should we be anticipating with regard to how God is going to bring about this great climactic end and also new beginning to world history? And so um, I'd never, I never, I didn't know anything about the subject at the time because I was very new to the faith and to the Bible. And um, I, the thing that was so intriguing about the book is that is that Lindsay was tying world events. To the Bible. And that's pretty exciting. The Bible's an old book. Many people think it's irrelevant to today. And so when somebody's now making it more relevant by tying it to world events and possible coming world events, that's that's a pick-me-up. It's a, a spiritual pick-me-up in a society where people think that the Bible is, is, is obsolete. It's not for us today. Maybe it was helpful for people centuries ago, but not for us. And and here Lindsay was making this connection between between the Bible and uh, uh, and current events, and as I said, possible future events that that looked like they were brewing. Now the the main historical event that he was he was tying the Bible to, uh, I believed then as I believe now was uh, quite um, uh, appropriate, and that was the remarkable return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, and that deserves its own. A series of 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 talks, maybe we'll be dealing with it. I'm sure it's going to come up. For for centuries, no one believed, including the Jewish people. the Jewish people would pray uh, for a return of the land. You might be might uh, be familiar with the end of the Passover seder, the special meal that we we used to celebrate Passover, uh, where we say at the end, next year in Jerusalem. And so built into Jewish liturgy was this expectation of a return, but after almost 2,000 years of being outside the land of Israel, not able to go back, very few Jewish people actually thought it was a possibility. And it was actually uh, Christians in the 1800s that began to see that the Bible seemed to be saying that this would really happen. And they were some of the first ones to encourage Jewish people to pursue the possibility of, of the return of the land. And even then, it seemed so incredibly impossible. But by the time Lindsay's book, I was going to check before I started this, going to check the release date. I think it was the early 70s. The book came out. Um, Israel became a nation in 1948. So it hadn't been around, hadn't been back for uh, that long a time. And I still believe that is a modern miracle. It's a complex modern miracle. Again, we'll talk about it some other time, Um, but it's certainly worth noting. And it's one of those current event things that, shows uh, the, uh, the the truth of Scripture. I, I, I do believe that. But Lindsay went further than simply pointing that out. Uh, he used that as somewhat of a springboard to talk about how further f- events would occur that were proving to people that we, at the time— In the in the mid 70s, were in uh, on the cusp of seeing the final events, final expected events that the Bible predicted to unfold. And I'm not going to get into various issues like the Rapture and the Tribulation and some of these other things that are associated with certain eschatological teachings. Um, But he was saying these were going to happen real soon. In fact. He actually set a date. Well, he didn't set a date. He, he did set a date because he tried to show in the late great planet Earth that the, the generation that would see the return of the Jewish people, to the land of Israel would be the same generation that would witness the beginnings of these end time events. So therefore, and he actually sets in the book, a generation was 40 years. Therefore, these things had to start happening by 1988. Um, they didn't, but you knew that and and this is very typical for people that really get passionate about end times things. Now, I'm passionate about end times things too, but not in the way that you might think. We're going to get to that because it's really, really important. But what happens with a lot of people they get really excited about these things, even though the Bible's pretty clear that the Messiah himself said, we don't know the day or the hour, that we find ways we, I haven't, maybe you have, try to set these dates. And people get really, really excited about these things. And I think it's an excitement that is misguided because it's distracting from what the end times is really all about. Um so a little further on this, um, and you could decide if I am uh, if I'm dealing with a wound here. You, see, you could you could be my psychologist now if you want. Um, I don't really mean that, but you know what I mean. And, and so after I was I came to the Lord in September '76, and in September '77, just one year later, I was off to Bible school that's a story to itself how god provided that door to open and i ended up going to what was called ontario bible college in toronto it's now called tyndale university college it's not a bible college in the in the way that it was uh set up back in 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 when both me and though and the young lady who would become my wife we ended up graduating together let's not get distracted by that story um but um this was my first year in Bible school and um, I did not have a lot of money and it's a wonderful story too about how God provided. but I'm going to tell you in a way that he did not provide. So through somebody I knew there was an organization that was that was dedicated to bringing the gospel to Jewish people. And one of the things they did is they gave scholarships to uh, Jewish believers and others who would be interested in that kind of work, that kind of ministry. And it, as it turned out, one of the main guys, head guys from the organization was going to be the speaker at an event of another such organization in a, in a, a, a town not too far from Toronto where I got, I got invited to go to the event because one of my fellow students had worked for them the past summer and he was going to tell a little report of his summer. And I was asked to tell everyone who was attending how I came to the Lord a year before i hope you're following remember this is a youtube video you can, or a, a podcast audio you can go back if you miss something and so i got to go to this event and uh, this particular organization was v- one of these that was so into talking about end times stuff much along the lines of Lindsay's book the lake of planet earth and um, so I knew I knew a little bit, and actually what happened in, in, in part of my being prepared for this, I was so excited by this book that I ended up at some used bookstore and there were all these Hal Lindsay, other Hal Lindsay books and I bought them all. I didn't stop to think of why there'd be so many Hal Lindsey books at the, at the used bookstore, but you could make your own determination about that. But I was just, I was getting all these books. So I could read more about all these things that Lindsay was teaching about the end times. Um, And so I was at a Bible study, and this is a little, I'm going back now, a little bit before the, um, when I was at this little uh, one-day conference um, and uh, heard the speaker from this other organization. Sounds a little confusing, but anyway. So I was attending a Bible study every Saturday night, living in Montreal. That was part of my, a lot of my initial education in in the Bible in that first year. And the man who was leading it was a scholar in his own right, a brilliant man uh, from England who had been in Montreal for many, many years. And he really knew his stuff. And um, so I was all excited about the book. I bought all these other used copies of these other books. And I asked him what he thought of the late Greg Planet Earth. I'm just going to tell you what he said. And some of you are going to be offended. I didn't find out what Avner still thinks about that. And anyway, so here goes. And, And remember... My desire is to know what the Bible says really and truly. I don't have um you know, personal investment. You might think I do when I tell you this story. I don't really have personal investment in many of these things, except in the Lord Himself, and I'm committed to the truth of His word. But in terms of how it's to be understand how it's to be understood, I'm open. Um I come across strongly because I, I believe what I believe in and and I've become convinced of certain things and I want to share them based on my understanding of them because I think they'll be helpful to the people I'm sharing them with. But I'm open to correction because I want to know what the Bible actually says. It doesn't matter to me what I think. Again, that might surprise you. It often surprises my family members, but it's true. So please send your questions, send your comments. I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a session, bring my son Daniel back and, and do a whole bunch of uh, question and answers. So uh, please do that. Send your, your uh, questions and comments to comments at thinkingbiblically So anyway, I said to this Bible study leader that I greatly respected what he thought about the great late great planet Earth, and he said it's fine if you like science fiction, oops, and he started to unpack for me why he was concerned about some of the things that Lindsay was teaching in in that book. Now, um, I can't remember how much he got, it was a long time ago, I can't remember how much he got into the level of speculation that Lindsay was actually engaging in, and this is a real problem, I believe, Not just with end times teaching, but in a lot of Bible teaching, where we have a tendency, and I've done it too, where we fill in gaps of things that we don't really know. But this is really big, in my humble opinion, with end times teaching, because there's a passage here and a passage there uh, that refers to or might refer to something to to do with this subject of the end times, and then it's hard to 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 see that what people often do is there's a, a point here and a point like dots, and then they draw lines and create a whole picture that becomes a compelling picture because it's made up of various aspects of Bible. But we do that with a lot of other theological things too, where we um, establish teachings, fancy word is doctrines, we establish teachings that are very refined and they seem very consistent and together, but actually they're made up of Bible verses and Bible ideas, but how they're brought together may not be exactly how the Bible sees it. And it's it's one of the things with this thinking biblically that I'm trying to do is I believe that we need to be a thinking about the Bible according to the Bible. Very early on, I was taught a principle that I think is a biblical one about how to approach the Bible, and that is the clear must interpret the unclear. But very often, we make up things about what's unclear, and we begin to say things about the unclear aspects of Scripture that may not themselves be scriptural. So what I, what I try to do, and I don't know if I've said it already in these podcasts, but I know I'll say it again, is when we develop some ideas where we are deducing things from Scripture, we need to take our our conclusions, and they should actually be tentative ones, and take them back to Scripture to see if they hold up, and not be afraid to allow the Bible to scrutinize what we think about the Bible. So that's why I want to think biblically i want to develop a way of thinking and a way of life that is truly informed by the scripture and is not just a collection of bible verses and ideas from bible verses again i don't think i do it perfectly but that's the journey that i'm on and it's a journey that i'm inviting you uh, on as well whether i'm i'm part of that from here on in or not that's besides the point now let me get my my bearings And so I had learned certain things from uh, from the Bible study leader uh, that was helpful just in how to approach the Bible. And then I saw really quickly that, and it might have been the first time this was happening in that first year as a believer, that people who took the Bible seriously actually saw different issues in different ways. And um, I've been blessed by the fact that in all these about 45 years that I've been walking with the Lord, uh, we've been in... Me and my family, and and myself, and some of the other endeavors that I've done, I've been in in touch, and we've been in community with, and we've been in relationship with so many different believers and congregations and organizations from all sorts of different perspectives. Not all those perspectives are very helpful, but most of them have elements that are helpful, and they and they make up this grand mosaic of of the people of God all over the world, and and I'm happy to learn from from all sorts of folks but I I'm keen that to take whatever I is being presented to me and take it back to scripture. And so anyway what happened was back to this event where I was telling my my faith story and I was going to meet one of these uh one of these gentlemen who was uh, in leadership of the or, this organization, Jewish outreach organization who had we gave scholarships to um, students like me. And so um, we had a chat at one of the breaks, might have been lunchtime or something, and I've talked, I think I'd written to him already, and uh, now we're having this conversation. And he asked me if the Bible school that I went to basically believed in all these things that the organization did about the end times in exactly the same way because if because the bible college didn't believe these things in exactly the same way as the organization did they wouldn't be able to give me a scholarship and i'd never heard that before now of course there's so much that was new to me in that first year and uh, i just found that really strange i the um So Christian organizations and congregations have something called a Statement of Faith, many of you know that, that are the the non-negotiables of how they understand Scripture. Uh, And some of them are more extensive than others. And the Bible school at that time had 22 different denominations represented uh, in the school, and the faculty were from these different denominations. And so while there were particular theological things that they were that were non-negotiables to the school. It was also pretty open-minded with various things such as eschatology. There was a strong statement that we believed in the imminent, that means the soon, whenever soon is going to be, a visible return of Jesus as the Messiah uh, coming to to judge the living and the dead, which is a very, very common, agreed-upon understanding of expecting what's coming. But some organizations, congregations, and so on, and schools, have a much more detailed uh, set of non-negotiables with regard to how they understand these things. But already, partly due to the influence of, of my first teacher in the Lord, and now being at this school and seeing how they stood on these things, I thought there was room for differences of opinion, and especially when it came to the details of future events. And so I said to this to this man, I said, how could you be so sure uh, about these coming events? Like, look what happened uh, with my own people, the Jewish people, the first time the Lord came. There was this understanding of these various things the Messiah was supposed to do, and they got many of these things wrong. And so shouldn't that teach us humility with regard to the second coming of the Lord, that maybe we shouldn't be too uh, uh sure of these various details and his response to me was we have the new testament now because since we have the whole bible now we can be sure of these things and i didn't get it then and i still don't get it now and i don't think that i'm bitter that he turned me down for the scholarship the lord provided for me and then in our last year robin and i were already married uh, a few months into our first year of marriage our last year of bible school she got pregnant um with our 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 of course with our first we'd only been married for a little while and 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 god provided and he's so that that i don't think that's an issue you could decide it is and that i'm bitter i don't think i'm bitter um but um that was my experience and As I've said, I've been open ever since. I just don't think that the Bible provides us with that level of certainty about these particular details. There's things that we can be and should be certain about that should lead to a particular response and lifestyle, and that's where I'm trying to take us. Uh, Beginning this week, we're probably going to go on to an uh, Next week, continue, especially with some of the the practical response to what the Bible teaches about the end times. I'm this week providing a foundation, at least I'm trying to. All right, so let's get into it in particular um, about the end times and what to expect about um, the future, and to answer the question, are we in the end times? Which again, I believe that we are, but it doesn't mean what. We necessarily think it means. Uh, So before we get into the particulars about the end times, we need to deal with a a very relevant connected idea in scripture, and it's called the age to come. The age to come. We need to understand that first. So this concept of the age to come is derived from the Old Testament, um, where it, it was understood that history was divided into two parts. There was the e- th- what was called this evil age, and it was the un- idea that ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, um, God cursed not only human beings but the whole creation. From that time, God also promised that he would restore all things— Don't have time to get into all the details. But until that time of restoration, the people were living in the evil age, the age where sin um, was present, God had cursed the creation, and God was not to people what he desired he was to be to people. But it wasn't always going to stay that way. The one day, God's rule would be restored in all creation. And that was became known as the age to come. when The time when everything would be restored would be the age to come. So there was this present evil age and then the age to come. And so we we see this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. uh, Yeshua says this, Jesus, you might call him, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So Jesus, Yeshua, was speaking about the time they were living in. This is before he had died on the cross, of course, and risen from the dead. He referred to the time period therein as this this age, and then also speaks about or in the age to come. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, God seated him, that is Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so Paul was seeing himself in this still in this evil age at, while he and others were anticipating the one that was to come, the age to come. So now let's look at this term, the end times. So you might be surprised to learn that the end times does not appear—for these are English, it's English, right? End times does not appear— In the King James Version, the newest American Standard Bible, the New International Version, or the English Standard Version, which covers so many Bibles that are read in the English-speaking world. The New International Version uses end times in some headings, but it's nowhere in the text. The term is actually translated in these translations as last or latter days. And what it refers to... Is a period of history int. I'm gonna I'm gonna read right off my paper so I do this properly. You can't see my paper, but here it is. Okay, so it's a. This is my definition. Do with it what you will. I, I think it's helpful. A period, the end times or the lat last or latter days, is a period of history intimately associated with the age to come and culminates with its inauguration inauguration means you know when it actually comes like so you elect you americans uh, elect a president he's chosen and then in that you do that in november and then in january he's inaugurated so there's that preparation period and then there's that time where he or she one day becomes the actual president and so the age to come will be inaugurated when the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus returns. The end times is the lead up to the inauguration of the age to come. So let's look at an end times passage that uses the term last days. And it is, uh, where is it here? It's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law, or the Torah, will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and he will mediate for many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. So growing in the hearts and minds of the Jewish people was that one day God would establish peace in in the earth and get rid of war and this would happen in the last days now i don't mind saying end times it's very similar and because most people say end times for the last days I, I continue to use it maybe if somebody could show me why i shouldn't use end times to refer to the last days you can let me know i i brought it up because it's interesting that we normally use end times when end times isn't in any english translation that at least popular one that i know of okay so now let's look at the last days in the new testament so in the new testament jesus as the messiah is regarded rightly so as the one to usher in the age to come since he's because he is he was expected the messiah in general and those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah expected him to bring about what Isaiah prophesied, that he would put an end, in their case to the Roman oppression, through his healings, it was clear that he was he was ridding the world of the effects of sin, feeding the poor um, miraculously, um, and that as Messiah he would be the king to establish the rule of God on earth. That's what was expected. And so it's not surprising that um, we see in Matthew 24, um, and um, I did it again. I need to get my Bible. Got my Bible. All right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. It would be worth it to get into this whole passage and... Uh, next week I'm going to, or when I get to this, probably next week, uh, we're going to look at more of Matthew 24 and 25 to see how then shall we live given that we are in the end times or the last days. So end times type thinking is in the minds of the disciples in in what happens here in Jerusalem. Matthew 24, verses 1 to 3, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus here again is speaking, when I say again, he's done it before, Uh, he's speaking about the coming destruction of the temple. And so then the disciples ask him, and I don't have time to get into because I want to share some other scriptures too, but you can look it up. The disciples ask him a two-pronged question. A two, it's, 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 it's two questions in one. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? So in their minds, the destruction of the temple, which ended up happening 40 years after Yeshua died and rose— in 70 AD, um, they saw the destruction of the temple that was coming as connected to his return because they saw this as all part of of one large eschatological event. So they they ask him this two-pronged question. When will these things be, the destruction of the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming? Then when he answers the question, he doesn't clearly differentiate what details belong to the temple's destruction and what details belong to his coming. He mushes, if i may, that's that's a theological term. He mushes together both aspects of that of that question. Now then, scholars come in and try to poke apart um, what belongs with what what aspect of this. Uh, 2 pronged question. I don't know if anyone's ever done a really good job with that because it is not clear. And so he answers their question as if it's all part of one thing. So now let's go to Acts chapter 2. Now the, the Lord has returned to, to heaven and it's this time of the day of Pentecost. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot, the festival of weeks. And many of you know the story. They were supposed to wait for the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to come upon them. And that happens. And they begin to speak in other languages. And a crowd uh, comes around. And Peter gets to explain what's going on. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Peter says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So they're inquiring, what's going on? He says, Joel predicted this, verse 17 of Acts 2. the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is clearly saying that what Joel predicted is happening. They're seeing it before their eyes. They're hearing it with their ears. And so he is saying that what Joel was predicting about the last days was happening in Peter's now. Now, there are things here, things here like uh, references to the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood, that someone would say, well, that didn't happen. So isn't this talking about a a two-tiered thing, similar to what the Lord was talking about? Well, maybe, maybe it's referencing how this will one day lead to these cataclysmic events. It could be colorful, dramatic language um, because clearly, now with regard to Matthew 24, we are waiting for the Lord's return. That is clear. Uh, there's other scriptures that that speak about the Lord's return. Um, and I expect, just like what my Bible school said, they, they stood for, his imminent, visible return to judge and so on and to rule. Uh, But what Joel was referring to as the last days, Peter was saying was happening now. And interesting the part after the cataclysmic events of of blood and fire and and vapor, smoke and all that, the, the last part of Joel, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved which was happening in his day. And It was something new was happening in how people were being equipped with the very Spirit of God to speak the words of God to one another and to others. And this was a sign of the last days, according to Joel and according to Peter. And so what we've been seeing is with the coming of Jesus and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, something very unexpected occurred because the people believed that when the Messiah would come, he would would usher in the age to come. He would just do it all. But obviously that didn't happen. We're still waiting for the age to come to come in its fullness. And I say in its fullness because through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for presenting himself before the throne of God in heaven and sitting in the place of authority at the Father's right hand and sending the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to fill his people. We have been given key components of the age to come now. And we have been called to further the mission of the Messiah By bringing good news to the poor and praying for the sick and and proclaiming the goodness of God the world over. Because one of the marks of the age to come were the nations were going to come to the God of Israel. And there was an idea how that was supposed to happen, but that's not how it's happened. It's happened through the proclamation of the good news of King Jesus all over the world. And now there's billions of people that name the name of the Jewish Messiah and have come to believe in him. That's a mark of the age to come. And yet we're still in this evil age. And so this is why many scholars have come up with a concept that I think is very, very helpful, and it's called the now but not yet, to describe the period of time that we're in, that to a large degree, what was expected in the age to come has been happening these past 2,000 years. Now, we didn't think it was going to take so long. But we know better than to, than to um, decide that because it's taken 2,000 years for the Lord to return, therefore it's not going to happen. Um, and we should be grateful that God is patient with people in allowing us this time to get right with him and to come to him through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, like I did 45 years ago. What we can experience now through him and by the power of the Holy Spirit are the blessings of the age to come. There's a very fancy word called realized eschatology, and that is what I've been talking about, that there is this expectation of the age to come that we still have, but much of what was expected can be experienced now, while we are still enduring the effects of the curse until that time when the Lord does return and finally set everything right. So I want to briefly look at one more passage. We're not going to get into too deeply, but it has to do with, are we in the end times, or as the Bible calls it, the last days? And I'm referring to it because it's a passage that people often refer to when they're troubled, when they see the various things that are going on. I know there's the earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars from Matthew 24, and we might get back to that, because actually that's been going on ever since. Maybe I'm going to talk about it now very briefly. Um, people will say, well, look what's going on, these earthquakes, the climate disaster, um, and, and and other things. We must be in the end times. But when yeshua shared that in matthew 24 it was encouraged people to not be distracted by those things so that we could stick with his program his end times program that we've been on and in for the past 2000 years i was going to say this later but i'm going to say it now since i since, since i'm thinking about it um i am in no way diminishing anything to do with what the bible says about the end times in fact, I'm seeking to elevate. I'm just kind of really weird now. I'm going to elevate our consciousness, our consciences, our consciousnesses, our conscience. Not our my conscience. Anyway, I I think I dug a hole. I'll try to get out of it now. I'm trying to elevate our awareness of how we're supposed to be lit, how we're supposed to be living, and how we should have been living all this time. Like this idea of, well, things are pretty good. Things are pretty good. Oh, they're really bad. We must be in the end times. We need to get our act together. What? No. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. It teaches, get with it. Get with it now before it's too late. And just because it's been the same message for the 2,000 years, the past 2,000 years, should we diminish that in any way? No. We need to... Elevate it up. We need to wake up. We need to deal with the day that we're living in. We're dealing with a whole set of problems that we've never dealt with before. But we have everything in this book to help us navigate these troubled times. And whether we call it the end times or the last days or or, or not, we need to be confronting the evil in our day and proclaiming the goodness of the Lord and praying for people and ministering to them and doing the things that we need to do, whatever they might be. And hopefully next week we'll get into some more of those details. Um, but I'm going to try to wrap it up by looking at this again to show that, yes, we are in the end times or the last days. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes to Timothy, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Before I go on, this is sort of where the problem lies, because the language being used here, and it's it's representing the Greek, okay, I checked with somebody who knows Greek better than I do, that it reads it, it as if it's future, um, because the, the verb is future, uh, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. But it seems to be an expression, because let's go on for people will be lovers again its future for p- people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having the appearance of godliness but denying its power I took it through verse 5 for now so there's this idea that we were all really, really nice, and we loved God and had his power, and things were going real good, but in the last days or the end times, things are going to get really terrible. And for some reason, Paul is telling Timothy this, even though it's irrelevant to him because he's living 2,000 years be, be, before now, when we need to know these words. That's how it's often taken. But look what Paul says, verse 5. Uh, verse. Uh, it's actually the middle of verse 5. So I read... Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Avoid such people. How could how can Timothy avoid these people living 2,000 years later? For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, no offense to strong women, burdening with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Paul wasn't talking about some long-time future event, and he he probably wasn't even talking about um, the the recent future in his day. Uh, it, It was just an expression. In the last days there will be, meaning, Timothy, we're in those days. The Messiah has come, and he has called us to engage a cosmic battle. You know, so when, when Yeshua showed up, all of a sudden these demons that were hiding started popping up all over the place. The presence of the Messiah agitated the, the everything, and he's continued to agitate ever since. And when we truly follow him, evil meanings pop up all over the place, whether it's attitudes, actions, and so on. And, and then besides that, the world has been rolling on in its corruptness all this time, still oppressed by sin and the curse. And we have been commissioned by Messiah himself to confront the curse throughout the entire world. It's a cosmic battle that will eventually culminate in the Lord's return, his judgment, and his establishment of the rule of God in earth. What on earth, what the Bible calls the age to come. But in the meantime, while we are in these last days, just like in Timothy's day, we need to learn how to be true to what God is calling us to do. And so then, God willing, next week, we're going to look at a few more passages that will equip us to know how to navigate uh, these difficult days that we're in. And in the meantime, please send me your questions and or comments to comments at thinkingbiblically.org. I do welcome them. As I said, I would love to deal with some of them on the air, so to speak. Um, if it's a little more personal, I'll 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 get back to you more personally if you if you email me, of course. Um, if you have something real personal, don't put those in the comments. You can put things that you want other people to engage with and see what you're saying, especially those nice things that people like to say. I appreciate those, but also uh, Feel free to be, be critical, but be constructive. And if you really want to take me up on something, please email me instead of leaving uh, leaving the comments there. And do try to stay on subject uh, on the subject. Uh, so I look forward to uh, engaging with you. And so please do that. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.